Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, and this week's going to be a little bit different. Um, I have been doing Glitch in the Matrix and Creepy Encounter Stories for the most part, but I am very fascinated with missing 411 type of stories. If you don't know what that is, it's an incredible documentary that basically goes into missing people in hiking trails, like the Appalachian Mountains and unexplainable events. And I'm very into that. So I went for some stories that were related to hiking or backwoods, driving, anything related to the woods. And it is terrifying. So buckle up and let's get into it. experience while hunting in Alabama. Let me start off by saying that this is a true story that happened to me when I was about 13 and I'm 27 now. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you. My dad used to be a part of a small hunting club in Alabama, just a handful of guys he grew up with. Once a year, we would drive to the small town of Elba to camp for a few days and go hunting. There were a few different areas of land around the town that the club owned, and club members could go hunting there. One of these pieces of land was nicknamed the cemetery because, well, it had an old cemetery on it. Nothing really creepy about the cemetery. It was in the woods, and the graves were of a slave owner and the graves of his slaves. Now, in this area of land nicknamed the cemetery, there are five or six green fields, basically, a cleared out area where There are no trees, just grass, and a buck hut to hunt in. A buck hut is a treehouse that you sit in to wait for deer to walk up out onto the green field. This particular evening, we were going to hunt on Greenfield 1, the plot directly behind the old cemetery. The evening started off normal enough. My dad parked the truck, and we walked down the trail to the buck hut. We climbed up and started to wait and watch the woods. A little bit of time passed, and my dad tells me that he's going to go for a short walk to see if he's maybe spotting any deer on the trail. Keep in mind, I'm about 13 years old. Not a big deal. I've hunted by myself before, and I'm not afraid of being alone in the woods. Besides, it was still pretty light out. So I say, okay, and he climbed down. It was just me, my 32 caliber Marlin rifle, the grass field in front of me, and the dense woods around me. This is where things start to get strange. I sat there for a fucking eternity, or what felt like an eternity, and it was almost twilight. My concern for my dad was growing because he still wasn't back yet. I was worried that maybe something had happened to him or maybe he got lost. However, he's an experienced hunter, and if he was lost, he would yell or fire off a shot, but the woods had been dead silent. I figured maybe he found a good spot that he wanted to hunt the twilight dusk hour of the day because that's the prime time for hunting. So I focused my attention on the grass field in front of me, just watching, listening, and waiting for a deer to walk out into the field as the light of the day began to fade. Just then, across the field, I saw and heard some brush moving and breaking. The thought did cross my mind that it could be my dad, and I highly doubted it, though. No way it could be him. That would be incredibly dangerous and stupid. I raised up my rifle, pulled back the hammer, aimed it at the moving brush, and patiently waited for what I hoped was a deer to walk out. Then, a girl floated out of the woods and onto the grassy field. She was transparent, white, with a long flowing dress and long white hair. She floated from one side of the field to the other and disappeared back into the woods. I watched her for a solid minute or two. I I couldn't fucking believe my eyes. 
and I was petrified. Now, I wanted my dad back. A short time passed, and it's now pitch fucking black, and I'm still alone. My concern for my dad was turning into panic, but I was too afraid to yell or go back for him in the pitch black woods where I just saw a fucking ghost. I sat there for hours, terrified and alone in the darkness. Thankfully, he finally returned. He acted as if he hadn't been gone long at all. I asked him where the fuck he went, and he said he just went a short walk up the trail, turned around and came back. The timeline made no sense. He was gone for hours. It was unlike him to leave me alone for that long. He was adamant, though, that he had only been gone for 15 to 30 minutes. We walked back down the trail back to his truck. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. This whole experience still confuses me to this day. Was the ghost I saw an old slave or a slave owner buried in the woods behind me? Something else entirely? Did my dad go through some time warp where time sped up? I don't know. I never went hunting there ever again and don't plan on ever going back. Time mysteriously skipped ahead a few hours while hiking in a remote area. I often explore remote locations and old mining areas because I'm an avid rock hound. On one trip in central New Mexico, I left my hotel at 7.30 a.m. My destination was less than 30 minutes away. 10 miles by highway, 3 miles by paved road, and then 2 miles up a relatively small maintained dirt road, followed by a three-fourths mile hike to a rock hounding spot. It was supposed to be a pretty easy trip compared to others I've done. When I got off the highway, I decided to fill up on gas just for good measure. I kept the receipt, so there is no doubt I bought gas. About halfway up the dirt road, four miles from the gas station, I noticed my gas gauge drop to about a quarter tank. When I got to the area where I needed to get out and start walking, I walked a few feet and noticed a better place to leave my car, so I went back to move it. This took less than 10 minutes, but my car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. I still had the receipt for the battery in my glove box, showing I had purchased a new one just one week prior. I checked it against the battery under the hood, and sure enough, the battery was installed properly. Luckily, it was under warranty. The entire dirt road was uphill, and I noticed a truck driving up, so I decided to wait and ask for a jump. It was a man and a wife who were very kind and gave me a jump. Car started, and I moved it to the new spot. The time was 8.45 when I finally started hiking. The hike itself was uneventful and took about 90 minutes. When I got back to my car, it was about 10.15 a.m., I was feeling pretty hungry, so I decided to order takeout from near my hotel. I figured it would take me 30 minutes or so to get back there, and then the food would be ready for pickup when I got back to town. The problem was, when I put in my online order, the confirmation said my food would be ready at 6 p.m. That didn't make any sense, so I tried calling the restaurant, but no answer. So I decided to just drive there and ask them to prepare it ASAP. First, I was going to go stop at the gas station and figure out why I didn't get the gas I paid for. I still had that receipt and my gas tank was still at one-fourth. So I drove the two miles back down that dirt road. And when I reached the end and pulled onto the frontage road, my gas tank showed it was full again. When I got to the restaurant ready to tell them 6 p.m. didn't work for me, my order was already ready. That was a relief, but it was then picking up my order. I looked at the time and it was 6.05 p.m. It should have been 10.45 a.m. I looked at the sky and sure enough, the sun was getting low. I lost seven hours somehow and can't account for it. Followed in the woods. 
I go hunting in Southern Illinois on property that my family owns. The place is my second home, and I've spent countless hours exploring all around every inch of it. Caught all the fish in the area, hunted every legal game, and spotted the rest. So when I say that I've never had an experience like this, just remember that this was my domain that I felt comfortable in in any weather, at any time, with any equipment or lack thereof. Two deer seasons ago, I had pulled into the farm at probably around 4.40 in the morning, November, so at least two hours till sunlight. I pulled my stuff out of the truck and walked into the woods. I have my shotgun and a revolver knife on my belt, an elbow light clipped to the front of me, a thermos of coffee, and a backpack with a book and a couple of other things for cleaning my deer should I get lucky. So I walk off the drive and into the woods. The tree stand I'm going to is less than a mile away, but through some dense second growth forest and down a rather steep hill, across some bottoms, then a lung-burning steep climb to another ridge. I always dread the hike, but it's a good spot, so I often do it. I made it down to the bottom, slush through the icy muck, and get to climbing. With my flashlight clipped to my chest, I keep needing to physically turn my body to throw the beam around and see the trees that I recognize to determine my path. This, of course, always gives the forest a horror movie vibe, even on the best days. The leaves and underbrush are encased in frost, so Every one of my steps comes with a solid crunch, no matter how quiet I'm trying to be. This time, though, I noticed there was more noise than usual. Something else was crunching close by, too. I walked about a quarter of the way up the hill, listening to my company the whole time, seeming to stay the same distance away as I moved. Naturally, I think to myself that I'm going to have a quick hunting day so I plop my ass down next to a tree. Can't shoot till first light, but I'm hoping if I stay really still that whatever I'm hearing will lounge around until then. So I click my light off, unsling the shotgun, and lay it over my knees to wait. Except I don't hear shit now. Whatever it was must have been spooked by the flashlight spinning all around while I sat. I still stayed a bit sipping some coffee to make sure, but give up after 15 minutes or so of dead silence from the forest floor. I probably didn't make even four steps before the second moving thing starts again. At this point, I'm still not freaked out. I stay facing the way I am and flip the light off again and sidestep behind a tree. Sure enough, I don't hear anything again. Two minutes of sitting there frustrated before I start moving again, and my friend does too. This is when I started to get freaked out because I worked my way up the hill, stopping to turn and look every so often. When I stopped, the sound would go on for just a small second longer amount of time than my own steps, like something seeing me stop and doing its very best to stop before I heard it. This happened no less than four times, And by now, I'm sweating bullets and freezing cold because I'm sweating bullets in the middle of winter. I abandoned my thermos near a tree so I could hold my flashlight in my revolver at the same time. The last hundred feet or so to my stand was done backwards so that I could be facing the noise and in theory, keep it from moving. And I didn't hear shit again after that got up into my stand and smoked like five cigarettes in a row. It gave me a sense of security being up in a tree being camouflaged. Still, I only hunted for like an hour of daylight and went back early. And I wasn't fucking moving slow heading back to the truck, even with the sun shining bright. I haven't told my family about it because they wouldn't believe me. But damn, it was freaky. The sound and when it decided to happen felt very human, which it likely was as poachers and trespassers occasionally do wander onto our property. Still, ever since then when I go hunting, I'm much better about letting people know where I'm going and for how long. 
unexplainable moment in North Carolina woods. I was hunting for black bear one day back in the early 2000s. The area I was hunting in was northern Clinton County. My ex-brother-in-law and I enjoyed the area and spent many a season scouting and hunting these lands. This part of the country is filled with long hollows, steep inclines, and hard-to-access trails. We both like to do our own thing and hunt separate terrains. I would often dive down into the hollows while he scoured the ridgelines, hoping to get a shot at whatever I pushed over the tops. We both carried pretty bumped-up two-way radios to keep a general idea of where we were, although often the terrain made it too difficult for good reception. This day was typical bear season day. It was on the Wednesday of the season, third and last day of the brief season it was back then. The woods were quiet with no distant whooping and yodeling of various opening day camps pushing drives through the woods. The weather was cold, gray, and windy when we separated to begin our hunt and continued on throughout the day. I spent the day still hunting down this long hollow south of a little town in north central Clinton County with the idea of meeting my brother-in-law at the top of the ridge at the agreed time of 4 p.m., giving us plenty of time to hike together the few miles back to his truck. After hunting all day, I found an old game trail that appeared to meander its way back up to the ridgeline towards where I knew he would be waiting for me. After close to an hour, maybe around 3.30, I made my way two-thirds of the way to the top, stopping often, scouring the slope for that jet-black fur of a roaming bear. Along the trail, I came upon a long-ago used fire ring. It was very rudimentary in its build and appeared to be only have used once. The ring's rocks were covered in lichen and only had the faintest of traces of black from a long-ago fire. I found it odd that a fire ring would be here, considering the steepness of the slope, but it was a very small, somewhat leveled ledge. Then I figured I would sit and eat the rest of my packed food and sit still, hoping to catch a final chance to see a bear. All the while, it felt odd, somewhat unwelcoming, like I shouldn't be there. Almost felt like I was a forbidden interloper on someone's valued spot. I sat for maybe 20 minutes and thought that it was time to continue the trek upward to my bud. As I stood, I slung my backpack on and reached down to sling my rifle over my left shoulder. As I stood up, I heard my name being called loudly. It didn't really sound like it was behind me, rather all around me in my head. Just as I was going to turn around, my rifle was slapped off my shoulder. I felt the force, heard the sound of something slap against the wood of the stock, and crouched quickly to save the gun from dashing onto the rocks at my feet. I grabbed it in a nick of time and quickly turned around with a mouthful of motherfuckers for whom I thought was going to be my brother-in-law jacking with me. There was nobody at all there. Absolutely no way could anyone had rushed off without me either seeing or hearing them. I felt a sick feeling in my churning stomach, chills throughout my body, muttered a few Hail Marys and sped up to the top of the ridge, met my bud and Quietly, we hiked our way out of the woods to his truck in the spreading dark of evening. This has bothered me for years, and I have not been back to those particular woods since. Someday, I hope to. terrifying day in Oklahoma woods might have ended up like a famous unsolved murder case. My uncle was interested in purchasing some land near Red Oak, Oklahoma. I don't know exactly where, but it was several acres in a very remote area. My father, mother, and I myself decided to accompany him one Saturday to scope out the property. From our home, it was a little more than a three-hour drive, but we all love riding in the car, so while it wasn't going to be the most eventful road trip, we went just to get out of the house. Upon arrival, 
I remember being very underwhelmed by the place. No houses anywhere near and hardly even any signs of life at all apart from a few birds. And the wooded area wasn't exactly what I would call picturesque. Still, we parked our car off the road to go explore the woods a little. My uncle was talking about buying the land for hunting. Not really my cup of tea. As we walked through the woods, it was a very nice day, but something felt off. Everyone in our group remarked about the eerie feeling, but my dad and uncle seemed to laugh it off. My mom had goosebumps and kept looking over her shoulder, which made me on edge too. She was very insistent that it was weird and she wanted to leave, saying it felt like she was being watched. After a bit of hiking, I noticed that there was a small red building. I've seen bigger storage sheds in the suburbs, but it looked well-built. My uncle said there was nothing about it on the listing, so we went to peek inside. The door was open, and inside, there were open cans of food, a ratty blanket on the floor, and it stunk unlike anything I've ever smelled before. Following this discovery, we all agreed it would be best to get back to the car if there was some crazy hermit living in the woods. We didn't want to be around to find him. Only issue, we had walked pretty far into the woods and now we weren't exactly sure which direction was correct. The eerie feeling really amped up and we were all on edge. We ended up trekking another mile before we finally found the road but we were further down from where we had parked the car. At least now we could just follow the road. Walking along the road, we came across a truly unsettling sight. Right in the middle of the asphalt was a dark gray cat on fire. I have no idea why a cat was out in the middle of nowhere or how it came to be killed and set on fire. Obviously, this had just happened, but there was no one in sight. Naturally, we ran the rest of the way to the car. And when we got there, there was a huge scratch in the paint all down the side of it from the hood to the trunk. Thankfully, that was the only damage and my dad was able to start it without any trouble. And we drove away as fast as we possibly could. My heart is sped up just recounting this moment. Definitely one of the scariest of my life. Needless to say, my uncle didn't buy the land. And I'll always remember this terrifying encounter, but like anything over time, I sort of pushed it to the back of my mind and it just became one of those odd moments you occasionally retell at family get-togethers years later, so much that it's almost a funny story. The reason I'm sharing this is because I was reminded of it last night while binge-watching some episodes of BuzzFeed Unsolved on YouTube when they shared the story of a family that disappeared in the same area while also looking at some land for sale. The disappearance of the Jameson family is the name of the mystery in the video, if you're interested. The family died in the same area we were searching, roughly seven years after we made our trip out there. There are many theories about their deaths, including the allegations of some sort of cult in the area, complete with something about dead cats. Coincidence? Probably. But the whole story gave me chills. So if my family narrowly avoided being killed by some witches or cult or whatever, great. Or if we just stumbled upon a hermit who didn't want us in his woods... I don't know. Night Hike with Friends I grew up in Orange County, California. Don't quit on me, but there were some real wild areas around us, believe it or not. In high school, we went out to this place called Black Star Canyon in the Cleveland National Forest, big, densely wooded area of oak that stretches from OC to San Diego almost to the border, even contains Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton. Anyways, we had been told it was haunted growing up. Turns out, true story, there was a tribe there that was slaughtered in the 1800s by hired fur trappers because they kept stealing the Mexican ranchers' horses for meat. 
Nuff said for a bunch of dumb high schoolers. So we plan a night hike to this place. My friends and I did stuff like this all the time, but I consider myself pretty skeptical. And luckily, most of us were pretty level-headed. This area is pretty known for mountain lions too. So we were all on guard and in agreement to turn around at any sign, even if just one of us wanted to. So the way the trail works, you park at a forestry gate and start to walk along old asphalt near a road that's mostly dirt from when there were sparse horses in the 50s and 60s there. Before the floods washed them out and the land was committed to NFS, eventually turning to a full hiking trail. Along this road is a line of barbed wire as well, with all kinds of signs warning you not to cross. So here we are, typical idiots, walking a road on a hardly silvered moon, pitch black night after midnight, and not using our flashlights to add to the flare. Well, as we go and venture deeper and deeper down this road, which we'd never been on, mind you, I keep seeing what appears to be a cowboy leaning on the wooden fence post holding the barbed wire, just kind of leaning on it, but distinctively looking at us. I'm talking full-blown cowboy brimmed hat, just leaning, but it's just a silhouette out of the side of my eye. And every time I look straight on, there's nothing. I'm telling myself I'm logical and push it off as a trick of the eyes to keep my cool, but I keep seeing the motherfucker every 10 or so posts, but don't say a thing to the guys. We get to a point where we've been walking for over an hour and debate on heading back just because of the time. Just then, my friend goes, yeah, and I keep thinking I'm seeing some cowboy along the fence line. I, no shit, felt my stomach drop out of me. I couldn't believe it. These were plain wooden fence posts, maybe a typical four inch or so tall, with mostly filled behind them. No way, that looks like a person. So I open up about it also, and we all agree to turn around. Just then, my other buddy starts flipping out, ripping his shirt off, screaming about getting stung. We're all kind of confused, looking at him like he's crazy, but he insists a bee or something just stung him. So we turn out lights on his back to look and watch as three distinct scratches form stretching from one shoulder diagonal to the opposite hip, even drawing blood. We were done, needless to say, after that, but made it back to the car without further incident. You can probably argue the shadow was coincidence in the dark and shapes playing tricks for sure. I'll give you that, but throw in the scratch in a way that we watched happen right as we're discussing dickhead ghost cowboy and in a way he couldn't do to himself and none of us standing in a circle did to him. Okay, there's something going on. This area ended up being used by Jack Osborne's show, Haunted Highway, in his pilot episode. It's pretty cool and I've been back since, but only in the day. California has more to it than you'd imagine. This is just one story of many I've experienced out here. I used to work on the North Slope of Alaska. Here's one of my stories. I used to work on the North Slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaska Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil-producing qualities. It was mid-January. The sun hadn't quite come up yet. And when I say the sun hadn't come up, I mean in almost a month and a half, Polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska, deep in the wilderness. 
Our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios work only up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure you're not a popsicle. It was about four in the morning, not that it mattered in the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow, as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour. When something appeared on the road in our headlights, it was a man in jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 a.m., and it was negative 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out for this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down and he's trying to get back to the guard shack. Seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. And he didn't seem cold. His clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in the truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road, still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold, I could occasionally get whiffs of a particular peculiar smell coming off of him. He smelled acidic, if that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all of this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said he was just trying to shake him out of his stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him, though, this walking popsicle spun around and latched on to my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy and then at me with this look of pure rage, not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popsicle. At that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guy in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, it could only have been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled ass to the guard shack another 30 miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore, and when he pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the head guard, and we were told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what had happened, and it was a quiet drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at the shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popsicle on their patrols. He told us they searched up and down that ice road for a solid 12-hour shift and saw nothing, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. And I still wonder about that dude. 
if he even was a dude. The Alaskan tundra is a weird place. And that was just one of many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subs. Headlights. So here is a little less backwoods, but more country roads of a paranormal story. Every summer, my family and some close friends would all travel up from Southern California to the Eastern Sierra Nevada mountains along the California-Nevada border to the town of Bridgeport. If you've ever been, it's a super cool area. Big biker route to Reno Tahoe, excellent outdoor camping and hiking into Yosemite high country rich in wildlife, crazy old history with native tribes and the gold rush of the West, has Bodie Ghost Town near, and my favorite is the world-class trout fishing. Mark Twain even once stayed in the town way back in the day, which I thought was cool. The town is small and has your typical 20-building Main Street USA to match the feel, all surrounded by rivers, lush meadows with cattle and horse ranches, and absolutely gorgeous wooded snow-capped mountains. We would often camp up near Twin Lakes, just outside of the town, about 10 miles, but always made a point to get to the town for dinner at this bar Reno's for pizza and beer at least once during the trip. So, one night we do this, and afterwards we're on our way back to camp at twilight, just light enough to make out the peaks of the horizon, but still densely dark with billions of stars out in the force. Now, this road back to the camping area would zigzag through the square-cut properties of Ranchland. It's a narrow two lanes edged by barbed wire and an irrigation channel, and minimal streetlights, if any at all. Literally can only think of one installed by the dude ranch out there. So we drive back to camp having to use our brights due to the dark and making sure to keep an eye out for deer. And when we finally pull into camp, my mom immediately asked, did you see that kid in the swimsuit on the side of the road? Perplexed and a little amused by the idea, I say, no, where was this? On the side of the road near the cows. He was shirtless walking along the road. I'd been driving behind her and my dad, and there's no way I could have missed this had someone been there. Nobody in our car saw him, and my dad said he didn't either when she initially saw him, not shocking for my dad, though, lol. However, also not shocking would be my mom seeing something paranormal. It always seemed to follow her, and she was dead, excuse the pun, serious, even described the color of the shorts, his hairstyle, and he was walking the same direction we were traveling, so she couldn't see his face and had to be in his 20s. So we half-jokingly jumped to that conclusion that maybe it was in fact a ghost. After all, it was dark and late and nobody else had seen him. And even in the summer, the Sierra are high enough in elevation and have crazy enough weather to easily kill someone who wasn't prepared for cold at night, especially shirtless in swim trunks. On a clear night in August, I've woken up in the teens for temperature. And where she was describing was in the literal middle of nowhere in these fields. It takes us about 20 minutes just to drive it at a good speed, let alone walk it to the camp in dark but I guess anything is possible. The next morning, we get up to learn my idiot friend, someone who got scratched in a previous post I wrote, left the cooler out after the rest of us went to bed, and a bear got a buffet out of us. So we decided we'll make the most of it and go back to town for supplies, some further fishing spots, and get dinner again. This time on the way back to camp, I'm driving in front of my parents, zigging and zagging through the fields where all of a sudden there's a bright set of headlights on my ass. Looking back, I could tell this had to be some sort of lifted truck, maybe like a Bronco or similar rearing up on my SUV. So close at times, I thought we were going to get rammed. I start speeding up a little at first, but this car stays right on me. I'm starting to get annoyed and concerned. After all, this was a two-lane road at night that anyone wanting to pass could 
very easily and safely do so. And there isn't any area you could really pull over without risking pulling into a ditch and getting stuck. So I continue speeding up, but I'm getting concerned because I know the hills are coming up and there are deer by thousands in this area. But this car's lights keep pressing. My wife, then girlfriend, and friends start getting a little freaked as well thinking about the backwoods bullshit asshole of a human being that's pulling this. And this continues through the fields until I get to the final turn before it goes from meadows to woods. And I get a really heavy gut feeling, almost like a scream in my head, slow the fuck down. So do or die, I start pressing the brakes hard, fully expecting this truck to ram us. As I do, we're coming around the corner and sure enough, there's a pack of six or so deer in the middle of the road. I was immediately shaken up. It's always a little startling when you see animals out of the dark while driving, especially big ones. And then it dawned on me. I'm not being blinded anymore, and we definitely didn't get hit. I look back in the mirror, and the lights are gone. Just gone. No dust in the rear brake lights from a vehicle pulling off the road. Nothing screaming by us in the other lane and no road for them to have even turned off on or headlights lighting up the trees or area. And then I see my folks come driving up behind us, all of a sudden are dumbfounded trying to figure out where this person went. The deer clear the road and we make the rest of the drive to camp and adrenaline admittedly gets a bit irritated. So I start ranting off about how stupid this guy was and how we could have all just died, blah, 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 really making everyone feel good. When we get out of the cars, my mom immediately starts giving me the typical parent talk, but I get even more pissed when she calls me an idiot for taking off like that on such a dangerous road in the dark and how lucky I am to not have killed us all with those deer and how I need to be more careful, etc., Well, if that dickhead hadn't been riding my ass, it wouldn't have been such an issue, I say. What are you talking about? She responds, there wasn't anyone behind you. Oh, how the tables had turned. Luckily, my wife and friends had experienced everything with me, and they start chiming in about the truck. And I start talking about how I finally had enough and listened to my gut and reason deciding to slow down just as we came to find the deer and how the truck was just gone. It gave my mom chills, and she apologized, but told me to be careful next time, but then started laughing and saying how weird the trip had been. I'll give this to my mom. She never did call us crazy for what we experienced in life, which is something I think a lot of parents neglect to do for their kids. It's funny because I always heard similar experiences from country towns back east or folklore of ghost trucks and thought how stupid it sounded, but but now after experiencing it, holy shit, is it dangerous? Plain dangerous. I'd never wish that on anyone. This road hasn't given us any issues before or since, but I'll admit, I drive it with a lot more caution now. I always wonder if the shirtless guy and the truck were somehow connected, but never found anything about it. Only God knows, I guess. Growing up in the Appalachian Mountains, I could give you a million times as a kid and young adult, I felt scared or paranoid playing in the woods. It's a beautiful place, and I spent my entire childhood getting lost, not literally, out there by myself or with friends. As kids, we never got too far out, but you could actually see the progression of us venturing further and further out as we got older because of forts and carvings we would leave. This one particular time, like a thousand times before, my friend and I had just graduated from high school. It was our last summer of freedom, and we spent the entire summer camping and hiking out there. We had decided to try and find a new place to set up camp and walked for what felt like a few miles before we came to a nice clearing. The area was relatively new to both of us, We got the camp set up and the fire going, 
and the plan was to wait until nightfall, smoke some weed, and play some Monopoly. For sake of backstory on my friend and I, my buddy is smaller, real goofy guy, but comes from a family of foresters and always had a deep understanding of all the trees and different plants you come across. He had no fear of going out and camping by himself. If I spent 10,000 hours in the woods, he probably spent 50,000. As for me, I'm a taller, sturdier guy, and as we got older, I spent more time worried about women and sports, and the woods became a place for small parties. Also, I never had the balls to camp out alone. In fact, older me wouldn't go far at all when I was alone because I could just couldn't shake the feeling of being watched, which was just paranoia, but still an uneasy feeling. Anyways, camp is set, fire is going, but it's getting lower and needs wood. Sun is down and we're both cutting up and having a good time. My friend is sitting on this little chair he always brought and loading up this makeshift bong and I was crouched breaking some excess limbs off some of the logs we had gathered for the fire. All of a sudden, this strong breeze cuts through the clearing. I couldn't tell you if it was the suddenness of it or what, but my friend and I both stopped and immediately looked at each other. The breeze went just long enough to flicker our fire down to a small flame. We both sat completely still in almost total darkness, neither of us saying a word. Across from us on the other side of the fire, we could hear footsteps. They sounded like somebody was running and would slow to a walk and and then run again. Definitely on two legs. By the sound of it, they were pacing back and forth over the same spot. Then, just like it started, it stopped with a softer crunch on the underbrush. I knew by the sound that had taken a crouch I was crouched still and knew I was staring right at it in the dark. My friend grabbed my shoulder and said, buddy. And when he did, I felt this surge of fear come over me. I could feel it and hear it in him. I had been so fixed on the footsteps and rationalizing what I had heard that I hadn't even considered being afraid. But this was true fear. It was raw and made me feel helpless. I could hear my friend after a while grab some leaves and he dropped them onto the fire. For the split second, the leaves covered the fire and we were in pure darkness. Then the fire sprang to life. We both quickly grabbed more leaves and brush and threw it on the fire. I got some sticks and logs on there and neither of us took our eyes off the spot or moved much for over an hour. Finally, the leaves crunched and it slowly walked off. Whatever it was had sat crouched watching us without moving for far longer than any animal would. It wasn't until after the footsteps disappeared that I realized that the smell had disappeared as well. It smelled like a paper mill, spoiled eggs almost. For the rest of the night, besides whispered remarks, neither of us really moved or stopped looking at that spot. Nobody went into the tent, and I had a very short, light sleep sitting on the ground with my head rested on my hands. My friend never went to sleep. In the morning, we packed up and silently walked back home. To this day, we talk about it. In the seven to eight years since it happened, my forester friend has not camped by himself out there since. That concludes this episode of Women on the Aliens. And I hope you enjoyed this hiking slash backwoods creepy version of my podcast. If you have any of your own stories, please, like I said, send them in to blameitonthealiens at gmail.com. And you can either write them there or you can click on the voice memo Um, the link in my show notes and send it as a voice memo to my podcast and I would love to feature you on my show and 
as always, rate five stars, share with a friend of the genre, um, follow, hit the notification bell, subscribe, all those great things. And I will be back next Sunday, even though I know I'm late on this episode. I had some technical difficulties, but from now on, Sundays will be the deadline. So every Sunday, I'll be back with another great episode. And if you have any theme suggestions, any great Reddit stories or, you know, subreddits that I should follow, send them my way. And I am more than welcome to suggestions. So thank you guys so, so much for listening. And I will see you next week. 